Ten years ago, if you went to Harvard for law school, that would be cool enough. But these days, Boston's becoming more like San Francisco in that you really can't be a doctor or a lawyer or still be cool. I speak in part in jest, but in part quite seriously, uh, and this ties into the future of AI in legal. While there's always hype around, oh, AI is going to replace doctors, AI is going to replace lawyers. Certainly not the case entirely, but make no mistake about it, there's plenty of legal work that AI can do, and there's specific areas of heavy lifting where applications like natural language processing uh, can get a lot done in terms of uh, the legal domain. In this particular interview, uh, I speak with both the founders of a company called Clarity, with a K started by a data science fella from MIT and a law fella from Harvard. Not all that surprising, I conducted this interview actually in the Martin Trust Center at MIT while I was doing sort of a bigger piece on the AI in Boston area. I kind of was doing a talk there and I got cajoled and staying for another four or five days and basically talking to all the neat companies uh, that are burgeoning up around the Boston AI ecosystem and Clarity was one of my very first interviews and it was an awful fun one talking about sort of where can natural language play a real role in legal and in this particular case you're going to hear a lot of business context not just what particular aspects of identifying text can be potentially detected by a machine, um, but where does this fit into the business role? How could a salesperson using NLP with a client when they're trying to close a deal in real time adjust a contract so that they get a better deal done? So there's a lot of business context around how NLP can not just sort of make for better and tighter legal contracts, but help other business processes move along uh, at a quicker pace, and that's certainly the goal for the folks at Clarity. I very rarely sit down with two founders at the same time. I generally don't like the format, but I thought this one went quite well. Again, as I mentioned, this was done in person during my series in the Boston area. For those of you who've already been sort of following techemergence.com for quite some time, we have a pretty big piece on AI and legal tech. If you type in legal to the search bar at techemergence.com, you'll see a very, very long piece featuring a whole bunch of interesting startups and applications in this space if you want to get a wider perspective on uh, sort of what AI is doing in legal. Again, type legal into techemergence.com search bar. But this is going to give you a particular window into one domain, one slice and succinct area of sort of legal tech that may in fact be automated and or augmented by AI in the half decade ahead. So without further ado, this is the founders of Clarity here on AI and Industry. All right, guys. Well, where I figured we'd start here is with what's possible today. You know, we were talking a little bit off microphone about the work that you folks are working on. Clearly, there's an issue in legal of, you know, a sales guy or a non-trained legal person going into uh, a company and having to sign an NDA, which is the use case that you folks are working on. They have to understand their company's policies and how that matches up to whatever they're supposed to sign. This seems like a hard problem because their company's policy is written in a unique way. And then this contract is a document that no AI system has ever seen before. How do we match standards from company A to a brand new contract X? Just if you could explain it in layman's terms. Sure, sure. So it actually works in two stages. So when a company's told us, all right, here's our policy for all these different types of clauses, first thing that we have to do is actually go through this contract and identify where these clauses lie. 
um, which is a, which is a complex problem in and of itself. But once we find these clauses, then it comes to the problem that you just described, which is how do we take what they've told us in some language to what this clause describes in perhaps completely new language? So we have to build an engine that's agnostic of uh, specific words that could be used in a new contract that could kind of throw it off. And our approach to this is to identify what we call key data points. Um, so these could be things that are as simple as, uh, say, a percentage or a number uh, if, we're trying to, if we're trying to find, for example, the penalties in a penalties clause. Or there are specific types of languages, uh, language that gives us insight into the meaning of the clause. For example, a, a confidential information clause. Yeah, I mean, like that's what we see quite often is is um, basically like a one sentence that sort of changes the meaning of that clause and so on. And especially if you're not legally trained, it's kind of hard to understand it. And and as a as a recovering lawyer, I know that <laughs> the lawyers can. <laughs> all you guys out. are recovering. <laughs> you guys all want to get out. You guys all want to be in tech, man. <laughs> but so so you can phrase that clause in so many different ways and sort of confuse your reader so uh, but today with with some both like more generic but also like domain NLP techniques it's actually possible to extract that information and compare that to the company policy cool so it, it sounds like I mean I hate to use the analogy because it's not exact but it almost feels like a translation problem it's like this is being communicated in this way this is being communicated in this way you need to sort of turn them both into sort of common blocks to see what lines up this seems to be what the NLP problem is is that the right way to frame it uh, yes, in, in, in a sense, that certainly is a complex part of the problem. But fortunately, we actually configure the tool with our with our customers. So we try to be very, very intelligent in terms of how we ask them to define their policies, uh, so that it's not too specific. Oh, to a cool. Single okay, type so of with the yeah, with the client, you get to exactly. at least make sure on their side, exactly. it's not just ridiculous jargon. At least exactly. on their side, it's like put it in English exactly. and, and you make them do that. So it's not legalese and then exactly. makes it easier to mesh it. Exactly. Yeah. Basically exactly. we go through like a questionnaire and we ask them a bunch of questions like, well, what is your opinion on this? Like, are you willing to do that? And so on. And then we configure and we, we translate that into the configuration of, of the system. That's cool because otherwise, yeah, I mean, you would run into that whole other issue of now you have to deal with jargon on both sides. But yeah. Yeah. In, in this case, Sure, you do have the jargon to make sense of, but you're meshing it with a reasonably concise and structured way of framing things on, on exactly. the other side. Exactly. Okay, because yeah, on both sides, that might be really fuzzy hit or miss, right? Yeah, you're going to really um, bleed accuracy there, because if you don't understand yeah. precisely what the customer uh, is okay with in a contract, and there's also, you're having to analyze this new contract, uh, there are two sources of inaccuracy yeah. there. So. The, the good thing about that is that you kind of know what should be and what shouldn't be in a particular contract type. So like either NDAs or like master services agreements. So you sort of know what you're looking for and what, what also shouldn't be there. And so, so it's a, it's a, think of it as like a very, very long, very complex checklist, but, but we can, we can still sort of like translate that into that. Cool. And I, I see this a lot in the NLP world where it's very important that you know, there's there's some rule and some structure when we're entering these things in, in yeah. order to, like, for example, you know, we've done some interviews with companies that'll take dashboard and metrics information, turn it into paragraphs, you know, what's happening yeah. where. Well, it's like, you know, unless they have a really clean way that those dashboards feed into something, right. we're just going to get gobbledygook and, and or it's not going to be, it's not going to be ideal. It's not going to be as useful. It sounds like in your guys' case, you know, for a given type of legal doc in your current situation, NDAs, you kind of determined, or as well as you can now, and I'm sure things will improve and evolve, but what are those building blocks and how much detail do we need on each of those so at least you have sort of that, that core corpus to work with instead of just 
some big long document that is their policy. Exactly. Oh, yeah, exactly. Okay. And, I, and I think, for example, just identifying clauses and saying, here's a dashboard of we found this many types of this clause and these documents is really of limited use. And we yeah. try to go all the way to the end and tell you one of three things. This is okay to sign. These are specific things that you should negotiate, or these actually have to be shown to a lawyer because they're sufficiently complex. Yeah, so what are the actions? Not just metrics based on this document, like, oh, how many times is this word used? Like, who cares? <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. So, so for example, we tell you this NDA, the, the, the draft NDA is for 15-year term. That's, you know, well above market standard in any geography that we've seen. So we tell you, well, either your company says... You know, this this must be two years or less. Um, so you need to ne negotiate it down. Or we can also tell you like a market standard. It's like so in 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 your geography and in your in your industry vertical, we see that these agreements are typically entered into five year terms. So and, and of course for you guys, I mean, as a speaking from your perspective as a newer company, you'd you'd have a certain, I guess, volume within that industry or that geo exactly. to be able to really make that comparison. But I guess the idea is once you get there, you would be able to do that. When you guys find kind of the, you do enough in oil and gas, you do enough business for software in New York City, you'll be exactly. able to say, okay, so it makes sense. And, and I think there's always that um, with AI, part of the value is that improvement with time, that adding of kind of context. And clearly that would be the case in legal, just the same exactly. So cool. So the, the other aspect of this is being able to prompt, prompt action from there based on maybe what isn't okay. So like, okay, I, I can't really sign this right now. You know, you don't have to talk about everything that's fine because whatever, we'll sign it. But if something's not fine, you know, somebody would have to uh, negotiate it either right there on the spot or think about how to negotiate it when they're in another meeting. What does that process look like? You know, like, um, in other words, let's, let's hit it with a specific example of something that might not be okay. You guys would know what that would yeah. look like. And then maybe how a recommendation could be made from there, just if yeah. you're able to explain the process. Yeah. So, so for example, like the, the, one of the sort of hottest topics in the NDA and tech space is a residuals clause, which can in certain, um, certain cases sort of like open like a backdoor IP license thing so so and we when we identify that there's a residuals clause in the agreement we say well we've identified a residuals clause it's here and this is what you need to do about it so typically that is you have to either remove it um, that's the most sort of common common suggestion and some companies are willing to sign that but with some restrictions so it for example both parties have to agree what what is the the scope within the clause so we say well, if if this if if a residuals clause is, is here, so what you need to do is you need to negotiate exactly the scope for uh, what it applies, and that can be, for example, this type of software, which is which is the subject matter um, of the NDA, or do do exemptions, or for example, the same very similar case would be with indemnifications. So we say, well, there, there's a unlimited indemnification clause in this um, in this agreement. Your company agrees only to a five uh, five million um, sort of capped indemnification clauses. So this is what you need to insert in the agreement to ensure that. Got it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, this, the prompted action there would just be a simple reference to what's okay. So it's like, well, exactly. here's what it is, and this is different than what's okay. Please renegotiate to be pull over what's okay. Exactly. This. Exactly. Um, so that that might be one. So removal of something altogether or changing of something is that sort of. Normally, like if, if you know, you guys have scanned a lot of NDAs, and I imagine the people who are listening in are imagining how this might apply to other legal docs or even other yeah. documents in general. Is it generally something along those lines where 
it's either, hey, please remove this or please replace this with this. Is it is it normally suggestions that are at, at that level of simplicity or there, there are other sort of degrees of richness there? Absolutely. So I think that the simplest category is where quantitative changes can be made. So earlier, Andrew mentioned the case of uh, the term in this agreement is too high. It's 15 years. Five is the most that your legal team is willing to agree to. So those are changes that can be made quite easily. More complex changes are uh, changes in contractual language, having to rephrase a sentence or multiple sentences. And that is a much, much more difficult problem. That's one of the things we're trying to work towards. That's one of the things actually nobody's been able to do with the current state of NLP. So at this point, we're able to give more general advice on this language is not favorable for you. Um, you should look into changing it, but actually editing sentences, basically content creation on the fly is kind of where we see the future of NLP going. Yeah, and obviously that's, like you said, really hard problem. I mean, mm-hmm. especially legal doc. It's not like, uh, well, we kind of need the general gist <laughs> to publish this blog post, right? Yeah, this yeah. is like, we're going to sign this, you exactly. know, we don't want to get sued. So clearly that's a, a tough problem. So it sounds like when kind of the crafting of a sentence at some deeper level than just switching out this this number with this number, yeah. when something deeper than that has to happen, you know, you can suggest that it, needs to be changed to be favorable, but obviously to create the legal language is not in the purview of AI right now. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and largely it's also a question of data. Um, legal is one of the spaces where access to huge amounts of data is difficult uh, because, you know, who wants to who wants to put all their data in the public That's, domain? Yeah, for, good call, good call. Yeah, this is this is very interesting. So so basically we, we jump-started our platform by finding out a lot of like publicly accessible data. So for example, SEC maintains something called the Edgar database, which contains a lot of contracts. So of course like we looked in into into some of that some of that data. Um, and that's publicly available and, and sort of you can, you can use that. But like really like a lot of the learning is happening like every day, uh, with, with the data that, that's flowing from our clients, um, every day. And we're seeing so much variety in that space. So like what we often get is like, oh, NDA is a relatively simple document. So the shortest NDA that we've seen was, uh, 12 lines, like literally 12 lines. Awesome. Uh, like the longest it. NDA that we've seen was 27 pages. So yeah. there's a there's a there's a huge variety uh, in there, and and it's all about just like really like figuring out what what means what. Also, like the the, the language really differs. So if you use um, Boston based Wilmer lawyer, for example, they will draft things uh, in a very different language than a New York based other 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 firm mm. lawyer. You know, and so so there there are all these like all these things. Um, and by sort of focusing and constraining on the problem and having um, very uh, high level sort of like um, or, or very high end like anal- document analysis and document annotation pipeline, we were sort of able to achieve like extremely high accuracies uh, accuracies in that space. And it's all about really like constraining constraining the problem. It seems interesting to me because I'm just imagining the other areas where this kind of technology mm-hmm. could be applied. It's like you know, even in the world where I come from now and sort of producing market research or in-depth coverage in a specific Mm. space, you might have editorial standards where you might have a simple prompt where it's like, you know, well, when we cite a source, we actually don't use this kind of anchor text. We use this kind of anchor text. So it seems like the same sort of, if you can put in a structured way, what your concrete standards are, not in a sloppy, ugly document, but in a, a structured way, then you could hypothetically highlight and prompt 
you know, whatever the ugly new document is that you're looking at, which seems exactly. kind of like a so curious set of use cases. It's basically about dealing with one rather than two sources of uncertainty. Yeah. Because um, if you don't know what you're looking for and you don't know the new document that you're looking at, you have two sources yeah. of uncertainty and you're really going to bleed accuracy. Essentially. Yeah. It seems like that's like, it's almost, it's silly to even want to deal with that unless you are forced to, unless you're forced to, exactly. why would you ever exactly. deal with two sorts of uncertainty? And, so, and that's, that's why we think it's really important that we actually work with our clients up front to define their policy yeah, in yeah, a standard yeah. format yeah. Uh, that is machine parsable. Yep. Yeah. If you, if you couldn't, if you couldn't pull that off, I think your jobs would be a lot harder. <laughs> yeah. Your product would be a lot harder. Exactly. To use. So um, that, that makes sense. The last question I want to dive into and, and whichever you want to dive into it, I'm, I'm happy to kind of go there. We're looking at NLP applied and legal. Now we've talked to a number of companies that are working on different things. You know, you guys have an interesting use case with sort of finding clause types and being able to prompt action. There's some folks that are doing uh, things around like finding legal precedents for certain kinds of cases yeah. or summarizing certain kinds of documents. Right? There's a lot of NLP work yeah, in legal. Yeah. And you guys have your niche. Um, when you when you look ahead at legal, you know, five years into the future. Right now, you know, when we were talking off microphone, I'd use a really kind of dumb analogy, but you know, in 1997, you know, if you were selling things on the internet, that was like, whoa, really far out and cool. Yeah. Uh, now it's, you know, and, and of course a couple of years later, five years later, it's perfectly normal. Nobody cares right now. If you're using NLP anywhere in legal, you like, whoa, you're like an MIT guy, you know, like you must be fancy, but you know, half a decade in the future, a little bit farther, whatever you guys think at some point, some facets of NLP will kind of have to yeah. be used if you're a mm -hmm. modern firm here. When you look at where those norms will shift, where NLP may become ubiquitous within your industry of legal, yeah. what do you think? Do you guys have guesses there? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So we kind of see there being three areas. The first is a retrospective analysis of previously signed documents. Uh, and there's a lot of value to be gained by having algorithms that can intelligently extract metadata uh, to give you more info on what you've signed, particularly for very large companies that have signed on the order of thousands of contracts. The second large area is more along the lines of what we're working on, which is information extraction in a, in a live setting. And we certainly think this will become much more of the norm as well um, with, with current techniques. And the third area that will that's probably the most cutting edge that we just spoke about is content creation, uh, suggesting actual changes, redrafting sentences. Uh, this is very much in its infancy now, and it may well be the case that even five years down the line, it's still in its infancy. So, so that one may has has maybe a lower likelihood of being normal. Exactly. Um, exactly. But but retrospective analysis, it, maybe it's it, it sounds like there's an area where an average lawyer is not going to have their mind blown by the application of NLP. Retrospective analysis may become something that kind of everybody has to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, like, ultimately, like, five years from now or ten years from now, like, we, we really see a world where most of the commercial contracting, like, sales or, like, vendor type of contracts and so on, uh, most of it will be done by by AI and and people will sort of be there as like supervisor and sort of like yeah. going okay so this is the direction we want to go like this is this mm -hmm. is the this is the commercial type of deal that that we want to go but a lot of the the actual contracting and so on that that will be that will be done by AI and we really see like two trends there and one of the really interesting trends is is the smart contract space which which enables you to record the contents of a contract into some kind of a blockchain system typically ethereum but the really hard problem there is onboarding the contracts to that because exactly. it has to be written in xml standard that really restricts your abilities and where we see nlp coming in this space is 
you know, companies like us, we're able to understand actually the content um, of the contract and we're able to bridge that sort of the onboarding gap gap to, to, to blockchain. So we see these two things coming together and converging and basically enabling us to automate the sort of standard commercial contractual work. And as a, as a formula lawyer, I saw like so many of these things are standard and are just like repetitive and so on and, and across different clients, across different different industries. And sort of humans are not uh, very well suited for these like highly repetitive, you know, boring tasks. Um, and we sort of like really see that that this will be this will be the next step. We really see just like this the plumbing of your business, the legal plumbing of your business being automated. Huh. So I guess we'll we'll wrap on this because I'm wary of time, but I, I think it's an interesting point that you're noting. In in some sense, this is some some almost like utopic utopia like future where we don't have lawyers. Uh, yeah, easy to poke fun at lawyers, but then then there's there's another there's another part of this utopia vision that's. That's like we're creating super capable machine lawyers that are then, again, like you said, in repetitive things like maybe NDAs and some other types of legal documents. Yeah. Sort of it'll be rote work where the clashes will be called forth and humans can sort of deal with them. But otherwise, you know, we find a meshing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's possible maybe that both of those sides would want to be built in ways where they always win. And so, like, I wonder, will that make it more or less complex, slower or faster to get deals done, you know, looking into the future? Yeah, I I actually think that it will be it will be much faster because what you will see is you'll see market standards and sort of like what's acceptable and what's not. So you essentially will not go through this back and forth so many times, but you will sort of see two policies of two companies or two individuals or individual in a company. Um, being there and sort of like you can create a contract that sort of fits, that maximizes uh, the intents of both parties right away. So you actually get get rid of uh, a lot of the contracting. Man, that would be incredible, right? A future where you don't have to have really meticulous needle haystack Mm -hmm. custom crafting stuff, but where a company could get off the ground with market standard for X and Y and Z. And when that goes out into the real world, it's not like, a crappy doc that you wrote yourself, it's like actually works yeah. and can, can mesh in with, with the rest of the business environment. I mean, that, that would be a huge advantage. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, and what do you also see on the other side? There's so much this sort of very special, very unique kind of work for when, when you need a lot of like very heavy human involvement for, for analysis of the data. It's like we 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 don't think that that lawyers are going anywhere. There's so much. Yep. There's so much interesting work. I mean, like we saw some some research that uh, basically said that seventy six percent of individuals and SMEs in the U.S. don't have access to legal aid. So there's infinite amount of legal work yep. that needs to be done. Yeah. But a lot of this kind of low level and and like I used the analogy before, like plumbing plumbing work that will be that will be automated. Yeah, and there I think part of the reality is there may be some lawyers that do some kind of boring and repetitive stuff and maybe are making their margin off of things that will at some point, and, and they may have to kind of change a bit of their craft, mm-hmm. just like, mm-hmm. you know, people who used to make websites, a lot of that stuff has maybe moved to India and they have to do 
a different part of, of the job or whatever. But like you said, I mean, there's so much damn legal work. It's not like we're going to get rid of all of them. But that's that's already the case in the market. So, so a lot of this repetitive work is actually done by companies called LPOs, legal process outsourcing companies, rather than traditional lawyers and law firms. And they typically exploit some kind of arbitrage, geographical arbitrage between the U.S. or, or Western oh, yeah, Europe I'm and other places. I'm surprised I didn't learn it. I could have used some of those back in the day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ah. Yeah, so 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 we, we see this business. as like this was like a medium step between going yeah. for a lawyer. Now you already have like standardized processes, and now we're seeing this this sort of step to automation. Cool. Well, I, I have my fingers crossed that that reality comes about. I think that would make uh, hopefully everybody's lives a little bit easier, and hopefully for the audience tuned in, this example will sort of opens some minds about the possibilities in NLP. So thanks so much, guys. This was great. Thank yep. you. Thank you very much. That's all for this episode on the AI and Industry Podcast, where we explore the applications and implications of AI in your business or industry. And when it comes to those benefits of real insight in terms of artificial intelligence applications in business, this show is really just the tip of the iceberg. AI and Industry is produced by Tech Emergence, and over at techemergence.com, you can find actionable industry-specific coverage, including case studies, unique market research with charts and graphs, and regular coverage of the AI applications of both the hottest startups here in the Bay Area, as well as what Fortune 500 companies are doing with AI today. Everything from marketing and advertising, business intelligence, to specific industries like finance and healthcare, you can stay ahead of the curve and stay on the right side of disruption by visiting techemergence.com. And when you're there, make sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter on the left-hand side of the page. Uh, Most of our podcast listeners get the episodes directly to their inbox every week. You'll be joining tens of thousands of other business leaders who join us from all over the world to stay ahead of the curve of AI in their specific industry. So that's techemergence.com. I'm Dan Figella. This is AI and Industry, and we'll catch you next week.